Oh, that's kind of... That's kind And this, kids, is why you don't engage in PDA on the beach. Bad things happen. <laughs> uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, ladies, gentlemen, and otherwise, and welcome to an unorthodox opening to the Daily Brain Bleed. My name is Jeff. My name's Tucker, and I think probably that reference is slightly less niche now than it would have been even a few months ago but we are indeed talking about usa network's series the sinner and though it is usa network's series this is one of those shows that i've only ever met people who know it from netflix and not only that have seen it on netflix within the past few months and yeah so that's it's one of those things where you know, I was completely unaware of this show, which had been around for like a few years now, like it even existing at all. But then in the past couple of weeks, I have Jeff and then I have just a couple other people saying, hey, you need to check this show out. And, you know, it's one person's like, oh, yeah, OK. But then several people like in around the same time frame saying, hey, let's check out this show becomes something that bumps it up on my priority list. And well, here we are. It's good to know that. My recommendation alone oh. as your co-host isn't uh, isn't uh, enough to move the needle. We all throw all sorts of different recommendations <laughs> out. You know, it's like, you know, we have we have believe it. Or, like, there are so many movies like like come out. Right. There that, are a lot of movies that um, we could talk about, but that we don't end up talking about because believe it or not, we really only have the time to sit down and do this about once a week. So um, some bias comes in. So some weeks we get the big movie that came out in theaters or the big thing that came out on streaming. And some weeks we did do, Hey, I saw this old movie on Disney plus, <laughs> you know? So why don't we try and see if we can ring that into an episode? And so for the next 30 minutes, instead of talking about the center, we're going to discuss our content strategy. Yes. For <laughs> no, we are going to like, just let you guys in behind the scenes and give you the ability to completely rip us off and create a podcast at least as successful as our own. I mean, I'm tempted to use the analogy where you have like infinite number of monkeys at infinite number of typewriters kind of thing, which I believe, funnily enough, we've discussed on yes. this pod before yes. um, to say that please replace both of us with monkeys and this mm-hmm. podcast would be infinitely better. We, uh, bonobos, please. We are the uh, in real world type primates that would sit at the keyboard and just like fling feces and bang the same letter over and over again. That's <laughs> when you're talking about us doing that, that's ex- probably more what you're going to get. So, uh, yeah, so let's, uh, let's talk about the center a little bit. Um, so full disclosure in terms of how I came into contact with it, I saw it on the front page of my Netflix and I was kind of in between shows and I wanted something to kill some time. So I was like, whatever, I'll try. I'll try an an episode. You know, I I fully had no intention of becoming a fan. I didn't know anybody who had said anything to me about the show. I finished the first season in two days. Mm. I finished the second season in the next two days. And then I finished the third season a week later. So I got absolutely just hook, line and sinkered by this show and so I'm fairly enamored with it and pretty recently familiar with all of its various twists and turns across the seasons. Yeah, to reiterate what um, what uh, Jeff had just, what I had already said and what Jeff has just said, it's that um, 
I, uh, you know, I don't actually like watch a lot of Netflix anymore because their content offerings are actually rather slim at this moment in time. Sure. I think folks will recognize this, what with Disney and all the other companies starting to try to bolster their own streaming services. But regardless, I heard people talk about the show, say it's something I should check out. So I go on Netflix and I press The Sinner. And what plays for me is about 10 minutes worth of a show with Bill Pullman and Matt Bomer, who is a uh, college professor, and he's, you know, living his life as that. But there was something unsettling about this for me. Not the content. It was the fact that I had heard people tell me that this is a show that had Jessica Biel. So I was thinking, where's Jessica Biel? Where, is she going to show up at some point? And so finally I break down and I look it up. And wouldn't you know it, this is not the first season. They, for whatever reason, had decided to start me with the third season of the show. So I actually had to physically go back and like start the first episode. But I, I just don't get why... Netflix assumes that you want to start with the third season of the show. I get that it's an anthology show, but still, it's just a weird kind of thing. Yeah, it was it was strange because, like, you know, I... So when I pressed play, I saw that it was going to start me in season three, and I actually stopped, mm. and I pushed it back to season one, and I looked through, and I was like, what's the difference? They're just... The seasons are named after kind of the principal person that they're based around that isn't Bill Pullman's character. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, I don't understand, and I Googled it, um, and it kind of auto-completed why does the center start on season three? So this was a move that was very intentional on USA's part. And uh, I'm not entirely, you know, like you said, there's a little bit of confusion there for me in terms of why they're pushing you towards season three instead of season one. Because frankly, I thought season one was the better season and you get a chance to kind of have context for uh, Pullman's character. So. Yeah, it's not, I mean, there's definitely a new uh, story each season, but it's not a full anthology show in the same way that, say, True Detective or Fargo are. There, There is a common thread of Bill Pullman is this character. He is this detective who lives in uh, some area of upstate New York, a very rural area. And each season, there's this weird, lurid crime that goes down, and he has to get to the bottom of it while also tackling his own personal demons, which include... Uh, Lycan had to have his nuts stepped on in his weird <laughs> BDSM relationship. I'm sorry, was I kink shaming? Did I just kink shame? A, a little bit, but I, you know, I, I I think that it's he has a very unhealthy relationship with his kink, <laughs> and so you know what I think. Unfortunately, being shamed is kind of part of that. Yeah. So in a way, you're kind of getting Bill Pullman off a little bit. Right. Here. You know, it's like if you like to be, you know, slapped around or tied up, whatever. But if you're passing out in these sessions. Uh, you probably <laughs> you probably need to look inward and realize that this isn't the answer to whatever you know. <laughs> this not, is not the solution. I'm not sure what the question is, but the answer is not passing out to your mistress choking you. <laughs> That's usually not the answer. Um, yeah, no. So not kink shaming, but if it's if it's a kink that's the result of some unresolved thing that he has, and to be clear, I I still am not 100% sure of his background and his whole deal because and I imagine that this will be explained in more detail throughout the show but I've only seen the first season yeah. I at least in its entirety I've seen the first episode of the second season and I as aforementioned I saw um the first 10 minutes of the third season so I'm yeah so yeah um 
in the first season, we're focusing on this character, Cora, as portrayed by Jessica Biel. And she is this young mother who is uh, going up with her family to vacation uh, by the lake in upstate New York. And while on the beach, she hears a song. And that's the song that we played for you, which in a weird The Ring style thing, when you begin listening to this podcast, if you are, you know, a victim of some type of weird backwards trauma a long time ago, you might reach out and stab somebody. So we're not legally liable for anybody you kill as a result of this podcast. There's absolutely going to be someone who leaves this podcast on while they've also left their child in like a hot car and not come. (laughs) And the child was like stuck in the car for six hours listening to this podcast. And any, the, the very sound of our voice is one day going to trigger them into like shooting up a quickie mart or something, you know, it's just going to be very messy stuff. And I promise I'm not responsible. I'm, I'm more interested in how a random person is going to hear our voices in a quickie mart with no, you know, kind of intent behind it. Well, because the guy is just such a huge fan of us that he doesn't even play music in there. He plays us talking about stranger than fiction in (laughs) such great detail that like when you hear a movie just analyzed so thoroughly that you can't help but to listen to that every day for the rest of your life. And if you're working in a store where you have loudspeakers, everyone else is going to hear it too. I just, I want to think about the surreal experience that would be walking into a Best Buy and then just hearing like, <laughs> like a podcast just straight up on in the background. Cause well, that's, that's not it. There are definitely different sorts of establishments that would play different sorts of podcasts. I would rather be in, look, he's a controversial guy for a variety of reasons. Don't at me, but I would rather go to the, Joe Rogan playing establishment than like the establishment that plays the daily from the New York times, because you know, they're just just going to be the biggest, most obnoxious nerds in the world who, I mean, I'm probably going into the one that's playing like, uh, what's, what's, uh, I, I don't know, like uh, last podcast on the left or something mm-hmm. like that. Oh, like yeah. I'd, I'd go in there. I, it might be weird. might be a weird vibe, but I'll, I'll, I'll head that up. Did, did you hear the one the episode they had about satanic cults that was at like boys town up. and all that? Oh yeah. Oh, ooh, that's some nasty stuff. But regardless, uh, I want to go into the establishment that plays call her daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what sort of business that's going to be. Um, um, you have no business in there. Um, I, <laughs> so let's... Uh, uh, but before we go too deeply off topic, I, I just must say, the song that triggers this woman's PTSD is a Loki banger. It is actually a pretty good song. I've been listening to it just recreationally. I would 100%, um, you know, I would put this on a summer playlist um, the top liked comment on a YouTube video where you can listen to this says, do not play at the beach, <laughs> which is funny, but, um, realistically, like, you know, from a, from a more nerdy perspective, like this sounds like something that an amateur musician who likes to do Coke and is in med school would crank out on his laptop at 3am. Hey, it's a nice sort of synth wave sort of throwback to that era of rock and pop in the eighties. And, uh, so what's not to like, in my opinion. 
Well, if you're Jessica Biel, the answer is lots of things. And so she doesn't dislike the song. She dislikes the memories that are associated. She never with says it. whether or not the song is okay or not. I want to make that clear. Yes. Cora Tonetti canonically does not have an opinion on the song itself. Right. But um, so first of all, the the first thing that I want to say about this show in general is that the acting performances that you get in this show from literally the entire cast are just a plus top of the shelf stuff like Bill Pullman does an amazing job. Jessica Biel does a great job. Even your supporting cast like uh, Mason Tonetti, her husband played by Christopher Abbott, mm-hmm. you know, just really good work there. And then in subsequent seasons, all of your adjacent characters are just so well wrought. And so it just it really gives you the idea that there's so much intent behind a lot of choices that are made in this show. And so it just it really leaves like a quality stamp for me. Right. Um, Bill Pullman, he's definitely one of these guys who has had a steady career in Hollywood for literally decades now. I think the earliest Bill Pullman movie that I remember is, um, you know, Spaceballs. Yeah. The Mel Brooks uh, Star Wars (laughs) spoof from the 80s. He was the Han Solo type dude in that movie. Obviously, he was the president in Independence Day, so people know who he is, but he's never had, I think, any sort of chance to fully solidify himself as a Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Matthew McConaughey style a-list actor that everybody knows and everyone will go to see a movie based on his performance alone, which is sad because as demonstrated, if in nothing else, this show, he does have the chops. He definitely has the acting chops. Um, yeah, no. Um, and it, it's just, it's so reserved, the character is, too. Like, it's very pulled back. It's very aloof. And so the amount that he manages to communicate through that distance and that space is just, I, I promise this episode isn't just going to be 40 minutes of me fangirling about Bill Pullman. Mm-hmm. But, like, no, it's it's really, really good. Right, no. Um, so, and not only um, him, but Jessica Biel. It's like, yeah. look, uh, Jessica Biel is not someone who's ever really been on my radar. I mean, obviously I've seen her and stuff and I've never actively disliked her or anything. I've just never really thought of her as, you know, an actress with any sort of depth, but this, this, this season of television, uh, proved me wrong or rather given that I hadn't really thought about beforehand, it made me think about her. So, uh, yeah, no, she does a very good job in this role. This, this traumatized woman who obviously is, piecing together with us, the audience, what exactly happened to her. And that is the thrust of the show. So obviously when she stabs this guy to death on the beach in this very savage attack, she's immediately arrested. They immediately throw the book at her because the case against her is almost entirely airtight, right? She did the thing that she did. She's not contesting it. Um, There are a bunch of witnesses to this fact. She was not in any direct sense that people around her would understand provoked. So of course not, but Bill Pullman's character is able to suss out that, you know what, there has to be something going on deeper under the surface. And so he makes it his mission to try to find out what it was in her life that might've eventually um, made her snap. And so this, this character, this kind of, um, dogged seeker of the truth despite personal cost despite doubts from colleagues and you know kind of just this wave of people being like this is what it is why are you 
why are you so invested in this? Um, that archetype is something that we've seen in other media that we've been, you know, big fans of, you know, see like True Detective, for example, that's the analogy that's going to get drawn a lot. And aptly so there's a lot of, you know, kind of kindredness between the two. Um, I'm not interested in a straight up apples to apples comparison, because I don't think that's productive. But you can definitely see some of the fingerprints of like, uh, what, like Russ, Rust, whatever. Rust Cole, yeah. Yeah, like you and, can see some of that in in this show. Yeah, there's this been this whole subgenre recently um, in procedural crime television that it's has almost kind of a David Lynchian kind of blue velvet setting. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, in a small town somewhere in the country, you know, where there's a dark secret lying under the surface and you see that in sharp objects you see this see that also in a show that's come out recently and i keep on meaning to start but uh mayor of east town i understand with kate winslet is supposed to be a really good show so but it's definitely something that people have acquired a taste for and that may be part of the reason why this just bubbled up on netflix at the time that it did right because people were talking about this sort of stuff and even though on usa nobody was really watching it at least in huge numbers um when it was on netflix people found it and it was, you know, it was, it certainly scratches that itch. Yeah, no, it, it, it very much does. And, you know, realistically, season two um, gets even more into the heart of that kind of, there's a secret. And, you know, that's kind of the crux of the thing. Um, we've talked about, and, you know, obviously by now, if you haven't understood, there are spoilers here. So, you know, whatever, do with that what you will. Can but, I, yeah, can I just say real quick, um, before we say what this what the story was, what the twist was. There are a couple of red herrings thrown out at several points in the show. And let me tell you what my assumptions at various points were when it, she initially murdered the guy and we saw the immediate aftermath and we saw that she did have some memory issues. My first assumption was that the twist was going to be this guy had raped her or had otherwise wronged her at some point in the past in some traumatic way. Um, she blocked the memory, but for whatever reason said memory bubbled up when she saw him on the beach and she stabbed him. But the further you get into the show, some imagery starts to pop up. You have, she starts remembering that she saw some guy in a mask. Um, you get more emphasis on a certain image that she sees some weird symbol, right? Put up against a wall. And you, at that point, I really started feeling almost like some Twin Peaks vibes oh, sure, coming in. Sure. And uh, perhaps most of all, and this got me thinking in the true, detect, true detective sort of direction was she remembers um, walking down this flight of stairs into a basement. She remembers... Um, uh, well, she doesn't remember certain certain things. She, she There's long periods of time where she can't account for. And then in the police investigations, what's turned up is like this old money sort of country club where dark things are alleged to have gone on in there. Um, you have people uh, disappearing and such there. You have people um, having settlements uh, with the club because yeah, of hush that, money, that kind of thing. And, but otherwise it's a point is made that not, there's not a lot of public information about this place. So at this point I was definitely 
um, thinking in the direction of, okay, there's some dark, creepy occult shit. Weird, abductive sex cult. Yep. Um, Which, hey, you know, it's a a try and true genre. You know, (laughs) I'm I'm not endorsing this kind of thing in real life, obviously, but if you're making a show about this sort of thing, there's a fan base. You you need that on a throw pillow in your writer's room. It's just like weird sex cult. It just works. Like as a plot (laughs) device, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't screw that up. I can think of no film that's gone in that direction. And it's just like, oh, well, this is so blasé. You know what I mean? Even if it's bad, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> hey, and that brings back up that XY graph that you have with uh, good versus bad and interesting, not interesting. Oh, yes. I would <laughs> much rather see an interesting bad movie than sure. a technically competent but boring movie. But no, the truth is neither of those things, really. Um, and this becomes more apparent as we learn more of her backstory because she grew up in a hyper-religious household, very, but even beyond being religious, her mother was just not a very pleasant person. And she grew up with a sibling, a younger sister. What was her sister's name? Um, uh, 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 Phoebe. Phoebe, right. And Phoebe Bridgers. She... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she's very, uh, sick, chronically sick. There's an issue with her heart, but her sister, oddly enough, is the one who had, who grew up with the creepy predilection toward sex, right? Yeah. And And so I want to just very briefly also touch on some of the imagery that -hmm. gets used in some of these flashback sequences. At one point you have the two of them laying with the crucifix of Christ kissing him (laughs) and it's very uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. at some points you have like the father actively walking out the the back door to go have an affair with a neighbor and she's like dad i don't want you to do that and he's like you know there's an understanding between the two of them what he's gonna go do and he's like i'm gonna go do what i what i want Mm -hmm. and it's just there's a lot of in this show in general and you'll see it more in later seasons as well they they do not shy away from kind of giving you the really uncomfy you know visuals and ideas when it comes to like sexual content or anything like that they they really kind of dig in on that right and, and what's weird it's like um again this is a show that was certainly at least initially not on hbo or any of the premium channels it was on basic cable usa so there <laughs> so there were some pretty like hard limits as to what they could actually portray um with yeah. uh, sex in it but i maybe for that reason whenever you see the brief snippets uh when her memories bubble up for just like half a second of like bodies in coitus it's some of the most raw and sensual depictions of the sex act that I have seen in recent television, even if only very briefly, because it's when, like when you see two naked people going at it on HBO at this point, it's almost like mechanical and rote. Like there's, there's nothing there or right, uh, for the vast majority of time. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but here this, this kind of remystifies sex in a lot of ways. And <laughs> it, it shows, I think the power of restraint, you know, sometimes less is more. Yes. And so, you know, the, you also have um, 
in that way. It it watches kind of artsy sometimes. It skews sure. more in kind of the abstractist art film kind of direction. It doesn't like ever go all the way there and do weird surrealist stuff the way that like a couple seasons of Fargo have. Sure. But like it definitely has elements of that, which again, for something airing on just straight up cable, right. I like to imagine someone channel surfing, you know, oh, nothing's on Nick. Oh, nothing's on, you know, a whatever and then you just get <laughs> bill pullman getting his fingers stepped on and you're just like what what did i turn on <laughs> um yeah no um it's interesting they use up their like fuck quota on the not any particularly plot relevant moment but it was just like when her husband was confronting the sky in the bar right like that's the yeah. only remem- time that I remember. That was just an odd uh, place to use the word that you can't. That the censors will come really down really hard on you if you abuse that too much on that channel. You know, there are going to there are kids listening. Why? <laughs> why would you say? That? I, I would love to imagine. I mean, making fun of the arbitrary standards. You know, it's it's so it, it's such an overdone topic. But I'd love to imagine the kind of guy who like sits down and thinks, yeah, no, this is perfectly appropriate for television. You know, I, I would let my kids see this, but no, they just said, fuck now, 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 now it's the time where I'm going to complain. Now it's the time where I'm going to write my congressman and say, no, you know, it wasn't the graphic stabbing scene, which by the way is pretty raw. Like it's in there. There's a lot of blood. They're not, you know, giving you weird camera angles where you can't actually see you're watching or give him the business. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's like, Oh, that's fine. Kids can see that. Mm-hmm. Oh no. I saw Willie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's in anywho, we, we won't sit and talk about how arbitrary that is, but sure. But rest assured fun. it is arbitrary. Um, no. Um, so let's talk about what the, the final reveal winds up y- being plot wise. Yeah. And that is, we kind of, after a lot of build up and a lot of twists and turns and kind of, well, it might be this, it might be that, we kind of get a long-form flashback retelling of the whole night's events, elaborating more on uh, Cortinetti's relationship with this uh, with this guy, uh, J.D., I think was his name yes. in the show. And so, you know, for, I, I, just, I just want to start off by saying, if you were watching that show and seeing the way that J.D., behaves reminds you of anybody that you know (laughs) send that person a text and be like you're not as smart as you think you are because he's just such a dick honest to god he's just a psychopath what's what would be the opposite of that one quote from the help that everyone like loves to quote like Uh, you aren't kind you aren't wise you aren't That just makes me think of way back in the day when you'd listen to in the Army National Guard, you can, but then you would say, you're so dumb, the Army National Guard told you you can't. Mm-hmm. That used to knock them dead in fifth grade. That's JD. But anywho, yes. so we look at their relationship and the way that the night progresses and everything, and it actually turns out that Cora has brought her very sick sister Phoebe out for kind of a night where it's like, you know, if I'm going to die, if I'm going to spend my life as, you know, kind of this invalid, I want to have one night of all of these experiences. I want to say that I have at least lived. Yeah. No, as, as I kind of said before, it was her sister who initially kind of pushed her into getting involved in like, uh, sexual activity right because if for no other reason then she could kind of live vicariously through Cora you know have her tell her all the details of her sexual encounters right because that's what this girl 
wants more than anything else, despite living in this um, hyper-religious household and being sick, not being able to leave and everything. That's what she wanted. And in a really, really uncomfortable scene, we we see her actually say, I I want you to reenact what happened to you on me Mm. in like this weird gay incest kind of thing that was like honestly i thought that if there was anything in the show that took us just half a step over an invisible line that scene was it i don't know that it was strictly necessary to either of their character developments but to to be clear the gay stuff all right whatever yeah no that's Uh, that's not a problem the 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 incest (laughs) the incest might be the issue there Um, no my issue was that there were two girls kissing on my tv and now i need to go read my bible that's my problem you're the only man in the world who's seen two women making out and reacted with outrage (laughs) no i mean yeah Uh, so that that scene was that that scene was arguably you know you know you can have it and it's fine but it was it was definitely further to the edge uh more disturbing instance of incest than anything on game of thrones surely uh, which in and of itself you know is it's just there is kind of almost background noise whereas this is it it does as you said feel like it's really breaking a taboo you know because there's not the remove of oh it's in a fantasy world Uh, no this is just a real thing happening to two people and it's it's uncomfy yes um so anyway she takes her out they you know there's uh, to a big party with like sex and drugs. There's an orgy in the basement that she remembers uh, being taken to um, where her sister loses her virginity to the guy who she would discover many years later on the beach while this very same song that she heard on the beach is playing. But then her sister's heart gives out. Which, first of all, what a fucking way to go. There was a crunch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, so the crunch was because he was giving her CPR (laughs) after the fact. He was like, oh, God, she's dead. Um, And then he's trying to give her CPR. Her sternum essentially snaps inward. And, you know, you get that crunch that um, Cora Tonetti's character has several times in like her PTSD coming awake dreams, like that feeling of her chest breaking in and all that stuff. We find out that it was projection, Mm -hmm. but also in a really kind of thing, a a weird thing that I think it's glossed over a lot. So everybody was on like X and Coke and like a lot of uh, pretty hard drugs. But when uh, Tanetti's character looks over and sees her sister, she thought that she was having sex with JD, but she's actually... Uh, being raped by JD's business partner that I'm, you know, according to all context in the show, she did not consent to having sex with this man. And so I feel like that kind of gets glossed over a lot in the terms of like the arc of how all this stuff happened, because it's like, not only was she watching her sister, you know, die, Mm -hmm. be dead. She was also, you know, experiencing an assault simultaneously while on hard drugs and so it's just like, you know, it's it it's that type of stuff where they're just adding dimensions to the trauma, the trauma and just the characters, you know, like Phoebe could have been a throwaway one dimensional character. But when we see her interacting with this guy and her, you know, consensually losing her virginity to him and everything like that, you really get the sense that it's like, wow, this is a person right. like, you know, you, you're a lot more invested in her experience. And this was a deeply inappropriate time to think of this. But when her when when her heart. Um, gave out the first thing that came to my mind was the clip from Spongebob many many decades ago where Mrs. Krabs hears all of them swearing and she goes oh dear my poor old heart 
and just gives out. <laughs> I I don't know why I'm I, I am to go back to the very title of this show, a sinner. And that was my sin in that moment, <laughs> was, having was that, that, that deeply connection. inappropriate connection. Uh, but you know, um, you can't help it, I guess. So, so yeah, that's kind of the big reveal for the first season is that you know it, it's not entirely what you thought. And the thing is, they bring in other elements kind of along the way, in that like you know, uh, Mason Tanetti is part of a like his family owns a business, and their business starts getting absolutely slammed by press and protesters. And you have kind of JD, who's this local drug linchpin and like they Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, he has a family and so they're bringing his family in. He ultimately, you know, winds up getting offed by another larger subset of a narcotics ring Mm -hmm. that Pullman winds up bringing down. And that was all that was so kind of that was a little too pat. It was like introduced in a really like big way in the last episode and then kind of like very almost as quickly resolved as like this huge plot of, Oh, actually there's also a massive oxy ring in the town. Oh, okay. Well, and then five minutes later, Oh, it's over now. (laughs) I believe the oxy ring was functioning out of like maybe a neighboring town. Okay. But But, yeah, no, it, it is very, it, it, it's very ancillary in nature. And the thing is, I think that that was intentional in that that's how it appeared to, to uh, Harry Ambrose, Bill Pullman's character, is that that wasn't really the important thing that was happening. Like, you know, oh, mm-hmm. cool, an oxy ring, whatever. Like, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about Cora Tanetti and I, the truth. You know, it's it also kind of shows the tunnel vision because, like, I don't know, from, from a utilitarian standpoint, it, it probably is a bigger deal that there's, like, a massive drug ring <laughs> operating out of your town and pushing all this dope on people. But but he's he's making sure that he finds out the backstory of this one woman, which uh, to be clear is, is important, but it's like, yeah, okay, it, it's weird. This, but look, characters don't have to be perfect. Right. And we could sit down and nitpick people's motivations, but ultimately this guy was trying to uncover this, uh, secret hidden truth. And that's what he did. Yeah. And you know, again, that's in spite of personal cost and coworkers and everything else. It's, um, also, you know, he, <laughs> we see uh, Bill Pullman's character completely destroy his marriage mm-hmm. in the process, which arguably wasn't good to begin with. But, right. you know, that kind of goes down the tubes. Uh, his relationship with plants is really good for me. I really like the way that he loves plants. Yes. I just think it's neat. Yes. Um, his The fact that his relationship, is his marriage is falling apart might be due to the fact that he's having, you know, a BDSM themed affair where he is the th- sub. So, you know, it speaks well, to some, um, sexual mismatch in that, <laughs> in that marriage. Yeah. You know, I mean, she was, she was looking for Saturday night with the lights out kind of thing. And he was <laughs> not looking, on that page looking for a bag over his head. You know, <laughs> he, was, he was looking for someone to drop oranges in the supermarket. Yes. Um, Megan picking them up. And if that's like the extent of someone's kink, that would be almost cute. No, just I have to pick up after people. <laughs> I get like a sexual thrill after just being all tidy. <laughs> well, I mean, if if that's your thing, boy, howdy, do I have some work for you? Oh yeah, because I live in a house. Yes. Um. Yeah. No. So I mean, uh, something that kind of crossed my mind in thinking about like this show versus you know kind of some other approaches to crime. Uh, procedurals is you kind of have like more of your week to week small you know, open and closed things like SVU, X-Files, more that speed kind of thing. And then you have kind of 
this other vein of like true detective, the center kind of thing where it's like one story for a very long amount of time in terms of, you know, like what, eight episodes a season or something like that. Right. Like it's pretty long form. And that just speaks to the degree to which uh, television is kind of, abandoned standalone episodes over um, the past 10, 15, 20 years. And it's led more to the adoption of, um, you know, heavy arc, uh, heavy reliance on story arcs uh, with everything. And you mentioned X-Files. And I think that was part of the thing that started to push it in that direction where they had standalone episodes, but there were always kind of hints of like the greater conspiracy that they were... um, uh, after and yeah, no, it's funny when you look at what <laughs> USA Network has like its evolution as a channel. I think ten or so years ago they were most known for shows like Psych and Monk, which are also technically crime procedurals, but they're kind of goofy comedies where you have a guy with extreme OCD and the scam artist pretending to be a psychic just going around and. Uh, solving these crimes and everything's all good and pat within one episode. But now USA is, it's kind of like trying to rebrand itself more in the direction of AMC in that, yeah, we're, we're, we're basic cable, but we're basic cable that cares about stories. So you have the center. And I, I think the big one that a lot of people that's really hit, um, pop culture in a big way over the past couple of years was, uh, Mr. Robot, you know? So yeah, sure. Um, a couple other ones that I see on here, just uh, anecdotally, uh, Blacklist, which oh, yeah. I've, wow. I've seen a lot of people well, be into. I tried it and it just it lost for me a lot. I was I thought that I thought the Blacklist was a show that, that played on uh, like and aired initially on NBC. NBC. It is an NBC joint. You're okay. right. It's just so I'm on the I'm on the USA homepage. Well, yeah, I mean, NBC and USA uh, Network are both owned by Comcast. So it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, um, uh, media consolidation day is just so lovely, isn't it? That, uh, that <laughs> it's all under this, the same roof. Yeah. yeah it's all, well, all under like the same three or four roofs, but is, is what is the plural of roof roofs or roofs? Maybe roofs? let's, uh, let's do this in real time. Cue the jeopardy music, please. Roofs. Okay. Standard plural form of the noun roof. Yeah. I get the sense that um, this was always supposed to be like the, the our 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 inclination in the English language to pluralize and a word that ends with f with a v sound is a uh, is is relatively recent. Like um, it was it was. Uh, J.R. Tolkien, who initially insisted that the plural of dwarf had to be dwarves, right? Because he huh. thought it was um, more technically, grammatically correct within the context of his fantasy universe that was based on ancient Anglo-Saxon legend. So him trying to reconstruct what the languages from that era might have looked like led him to be very insistent that no uh it's not dwarfs it's dwarves that's what we're going to go with which leads people to misremember certain things like the film snow white and the seven dwarfs is just that but i think a lot of people will instinctively think oh yeah fantasy dwarves so it's snow white and the seven dwarves that's just something that happened over time this is your uh <laughs> th- th- this this is your deep dive um 
you know, J.R.R. Tolkien podcast yes. that you've subscribed to. Um, can I can I read off a couple shows that are USA originals that, okay. that the center is bedfellows with, which What's is that? just very strange. You have Chrisley Knows Best and the offshoot Growing Up Chrisley, okay. which is just trash reality TV, pure, oh. pure and simple, open and closed. Temptation Island, which as far as I can parse out from having seen lots of promotional materials, is literally just we're going to put a bunch of Hollywood tins <laughs> on an island and just watch and see if they screw each other. And then Biggest Loser. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's just... you're, And then The Sinner. <laughs> well, you know, um, they've, I guess, struggled to find an identity. But again, this is this is their offering. To, and what's, um, what is kind of weird is that... Well, not weird, I guess. Fitting, considering the fact that I only remember the hype really gathering around this show in the past couple of weeks is that... Um, the show never really was a big player at the Emmys. Like the first season, you can look yeah. this up. It wasn't nominated for any. You could have easily swung an award push for like Jessica Biel or Bill Pullman. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I can't think off the top of my head of who they would have been up against. But, you know, they could have been a contender. Could have been a contender. I was about to say, you could, you could have at least had a name on the board or something. Sure. Like, yeah, no. Which also just kind of leads me to a, you know, 20, 2017 uh, August was when the, you know, uh, first season straight up dropped, I believe, first mm-hmm. episode. And so that just makes me wonder, you know, it's like that was not a bad time for this style of show. Arguably, it was a better time than now for this type of show. There had been more look, recent traction for look, stuff like that, right? Look at the shows that were nominated for Emmy for Best Drama Series for that year. Or for 20, which I don't know. Outstanding Drama Series nominees. For 2017, let's see here. Better Call Saul. Okay, fine. <laughs> House of Cards. No, yeah. fuck. No, 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 <laughs> no. I, we, we could do a whole episode of me. Look, I got, I'm going to say it. House of Cards was dumb. It was not a good sh- It was nowhere near as smart as so many of you people seem to think that it was. And I thought this way before it turned out that Kevin Spacey had um some predilections. Okay. So I I've been team anti House of Cards for a minute now. So you, you could you could really say that their house of cards is kind of folded in, huh? Yes. Anyway, what, um, what that's they- not a joke. Objectively not a joke. <laughs> um Stranger Things. Uh, eh, you know, okay, fair fair enough. Uh The Crown. No. Handmaid's Tale. Okay, fair enough. This is us. Literally one of the worst written shows I've ever seen in my entire life. Why do people like This Is Us? It's the dumbest people, thing in the world. People that like This Is Us are the same kind of people that when they touch a seatbelt that's too hot, they kind of like it because it hurts a little bit. <laughs> that's the fan base for This Is Us. Because let me tell you, so I've known people who like this show. Right. And... First of all, you have to be an absolute masochist, absolute <laughs> just want to hurt yourself because the thing is you turn it on and it's supposed to be like this heartwarming, weird multi-timeline thing happening, which I'm already not a fan of. But then literally every episode, some unforeseen circumstance, absolutely raw dogs, one of the characters in the worst way, like, oh, I forgot to turn off my toaster and it burned down my entire neighborhood. That's just like a plot point or like, oh, I missed my flight. And so they gave my job to Adolf Hitler. Like that is, <laughs> that's the kind of heat that you're getting from the writer's room over at This Is Us. And it sucks. What, what, one of the, um, one of the 
stock pieces of, of advice given to riders is that if you ever hit some rider's block and you don't know how to best progress the story at a certain point, just think, oh man, what's the worst thing could, that could happen to my characters at every moment? Which leads me to believe that the writers for this show come up with writer's block like every other episode and they cannot figure out like a way to logically progress the story. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's extra it is so extra there's no other word for it these must be some of the most writing constipated people i have ever seen in my entire life okay and then uh westworld as the first season as the last um the last contender there if it's first season fine yes um i mean and you could also look at the 2018 noms as well because this didn't come out until august okay fine um so i mean you know whatever overlap but um you know it's like really looking at this list i think the the this the center is easily quality to compete with these shows you know maybe not better call saul but <laughs> i've never seen a single episode of better call saul no, I can't, it's a good show i it's can't tell show. you anything about um, it um you know those memes that are like society if x and it shows like a <laughs> giant sparkling city yeah. and it's a perfect utopia that's my reaction to like the crown the society if the crown had never started society <laughs> if this is us had only ever made it past like one pilot in a couple episodes i'm trying to think of which show i dislike with 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 the crown it's probably more that i'm going to be honest my bias is that i dislike this thing on principle because i've seen a little bit of it and even though it's um <laughs> portrays i guess the monarchy in a semi-nuanced manner i i i'm petty enough that i cannot get over the fact that the fans of the show are the loudest kind of yeah. american monarchy fans in the world who i are the most annoying people in the world adult disney energy off uh, in levels that were previously unknown to mankind. Um, yeah, being a, being an Anglophile is not a good look for a former colony. Um, yes. Also, it's, gives me big Downton Abbey energy just a little bit right. because Downton Abbey was like at least an interesting show. It wasn't like the best thing that's ever happened, and started to have some serious issues after you had some cast just decide to leave and contract issues. But I try to avoid this term, but like, uh, if you're an American who actually likes the British monarchy, there's not a single bigger cuck in the world than you. I mean, that's just what it is. That is just what it is. I'm sorry, guys. You want to talk about heritage and your forefathers? Right. Your ancestors are going to piss on your grave. Right. Um, But yeah, so that's my thing. Whereas This Is Us, to the extent that I've seen the show, it's just a bad show, you know? So I, I guess I would rather watch The Crown and just, you know... I'd rather turn off the TV and go for a walk. I mean, I'm not I'm not robot chickened in here. Like I can get up. I, I'd say I would rather read a book, but I cannot read. So that's yeah. That's that issue for it a kind while of now. it it runs into issues. If you've ever tried to, if you've seen a bonobo try to read a book, it doesn't go super well. I am that picture of George Bush on like nine <laughs> eleven morning with like reading the storybook upside down. Okay, that photo was apparently shopped. I recognize that, but it was just it's still kind of funny. A, it's a funny image. It's I was about to say it could be fake and still funny. Are are we gonna get canceled for for saying, hating George Bush? For hating George Bush on the morning of nine eleven? I don't know. I mean, you know, it was it was a crazy time. There was a lot going on. Um, There's some shenanigans. 
sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that makes me want to see a It's Always Sunny style cold open where the plane hits the towers and then it says <laughs> the gang has to get out of a building. <laughs> the first 9-11 joke I remember in mainstream media was um, an episode of Family Guy from like 2005, yeah. 2006, yeah. where the joke was that it was inappropriate in that it was uh, uh, Peter was stealing James Wood's identity to go on uh, like Letterman and talk about how he's going to be making this movie about, you know, he's a window washer uh, at the World Trade Center on the morning of the 9-11. And James Wood acts, you know, kind of offended that he's associate his name is now associated with this tasteless movie and then peter goes yeah i'm gonna be working with david spade on it and then james wood just loses it like that was that was the most offensive thing <laughs> i just want to say if you find any of this in poor taste go watch one episode of the quibi show the fugitive <laughs> and you will see that our attitude towards 9-11 is at least you know <laughs> at least on par with a lot of hollywood uh hollywood writing suites um i also want to you know as we as we kind of bring this thing to a close i want to hazard an attempt at a, a slight philosophical point what's that in that um hang on let me let me straighten myself up so I don't just 100% beef this. I think that ultimately Bill Pullman's character and kind of the undertone of a lot of the center in general is kind of the failure of the justice, in quotes, system to address the actual issue that is really is, is justice simply an action and a consequence or is it a broader, more contextual undertaking that is understanding and I think that, you know, across the second and the third season, you you get even more of that where he starts to blur lines and do things that maybe you should not do as a detective and as an enforcer of the law. But, you know, I think it just it has a very healthy amount of that sentiment about like, you know, it, are we actually helping people? Is this reformative? What is the point of you know, being a detective and having these laws and justice and all of that stuff. And I think that it does it without being self-aggrandizing and without a certain amount of virtue signaling that you could absolutely do in that vein. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't get the reaction at the end. So, spoilers. Um, initially, she was looking at decades in prison when people thought she had straight up murdered a guy, but when the extenuating psychological circumstances were revealed, um, Jessica Biel's character is now being sentenced to just like two years in a psych ward and then she's home free. And I kind of would have liked to have seen, if only to add a little bit of nuance to the story, the reaction of the guy's family who... Uh, she had stabbed because even she concedes within um, the show that um, he didn't really do anything especially wrong. He had had consensual consensual sex with yeah, <laughs> consensual. She had had consensual sex with her sister when her heart gave out. He tried to revive her, you know. So uh, he himself, you know, was in a lot of ways, kind of a bystander in all this. I, I guess he, he kept the secret of her death for so many years, so fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's also, like, it's you're not really trying to play a, a sum-zero game in that way, because, like, his family also very much did abduct her and fill her with medical-grade narcotics yeah, yeah, for two yeah. months and destroy her entire life. And so, you know, like, there's this, uh, so I, 
is it by Slaughterhouse? I don't know who it's by, but there's this one line in it that I'm really a big fan of. And it's like, uh, but taking another life, don't make taking the first one right. Right. And so that's, you know, I to not get into talking about prison as a concept and the death penalty and lots of other things. I don't think that locking her up for 20 years helps anybody. Right. And I think that the judge kind of came around to that side of it and that she didn't choose to kill him just as much in that he didn't choose to die. Right. Like, you know, so so beating the shit out of her for 20 years doesn't actually help um, his parents feel any better. Um, and if it does, his parents are awful people. But right. um, so, I mean, you know, I, I think that that's definitely like a, a nuanced discussion. And we kind of do get a, a quick pan over of their faces. Mm during the during the court scene and they they definitely don't seem happy right. but they seem kind of understanding okay. in a way and that like you know they don't want to see her suffer a great deal but that is kind of glossing over a, a bit of a pleasantry um that fair enough uh, you know. I, I might have just missed that but yeah no i mean obviously this is a show which plays with a lot of you know nuance in a lot of different ways we have uh bill pullman is this guy who seeks justice despite his massive uh, personality and interrelationship, uh, interpersonal relationship issues. So, you know, a lot of interesting material to be wrung out of all that. And it's also just so damn pretty. The way that it's shot oh, sure. is just gorgeous, gorgeous. Yes. And so, you know, it, when, when you get that many elements that right all in a row... It, it, it warrants some of your time. So, like, for sure, obviously, if you can't tell by now, my recommendation is stop doing what you're doing. Stop listening to this podcast and go turn on episode one, season one of The Center and buckle your seatbelt. That's absolutely right. Stop listening to this podcast and start on episode one and just watch all the way through. Um, Don't move. Yes, we <laughs> listen to our podcast. Um, I'm trying to imagine someone who would, like, start our podcast like right now like right on right <laughs> kind of like netflix starting someone uh three seasons in with uh with the center yeah. i mean honest to god i usually point people at our most recent episode if they're not already fans of the pod right i don't i don't always tell them to listen from episode one but i still remember episode one was a pretty good one what was our worst episode <laughs> what was our worst episode let's call ourselves out um, I don't know. I'd have to pull up our red circle and look through our, uh, through our anthology. That's well, that's just ratings. It's like, what are, I'm well, gonna... no, I mean like I, cause I don't remember. We've okay. done like 20 some of fair, these. I can't remember every single one. Can I be, I guess, honest, like just which one you feel like was the worst. I'm disappointed because, um, in this, and this was, I think more me, this is, ob this is never me criticizing Jeff on a technical level, certainly, because it's always, uh, beautiful to listen to what he's done, but I am disappointed with what, how our episode turned out with, um, comparing the various adult animation shows and how they've evolved over the past, uh, couple decades, Simpsons, South Park, all those, yeah. because, um, I think we did snippets of, you know, we had snippets of good stuff, but I guess my original plan was that, um, we were going to more, um, compare and contrast their development and talk about the shows as they evolved and uh what that meant for pop culture at the time that they came out versus now and i don't know if we ever fully squared that circle 
I'm not going to lie. I think that that would have taken a roughly two hour time frame mm-hmm. and then editing it just down to the to the golden nuggets. Fair enough. To get all of that, because that's that's quite a <laughs> quite a breadth. Fair enough. But yeah, that, that episode was pretty thinky. I think our worst episode is this one. Yeah, probably. This I think that three people will listen to this. And every single one of them will send me an email, even though I do not list my personal email anywhere on this podcast. And they will all say that I should play that song on a beach (laughs) and get stabbed. Three people will listen to this. One of them will be you. One of them will be me. And the third one will be Jessica Biel. And she will become (laughs) insanely obsessed with our podcast as a result of this and demand to come on and thus i will preemptively say jessica beal if you're listening hey jessica beal come on come on the pod come on the pod bring your husband justin timberlake Uh, wait no hang on hang on stop the podcast is she married to justin timberlake for real look it up look it up that is wild (laughs) how's that wild they're both good looking people yeah no i mean i mean i don't mean you you know what i mean no i I really don't know what you why would it be wild that those two people I mean, like, I don't know. I when I think, you know, if you ask me to pull like a celebrity name out of my hat, I don't know. I tend to think about people marrying inside their discipline for some reason. I don't know why. It's probably because I know a lot of musicians who marry other musicians, and so I tend to think, oh, if you're an actor, you must want to marry somebody who's in film. There's that photo going um, back a while ago, and by a while ago, I mean like maybe a few days ago, of Serena Williams on the beach with her husband Alex Ohanian, Onanian, Trebek. <laughs> <laughs> she she wheeled him out there (laughs) that'd be so cool (laughs) Uh, that was probably a better point to end on than whatever I was going to get at (laughs) Uh, my name's Tucker Uh, my name's Jeff Uh, be a sinner